Alright everybody, this is the Ramblings of a Transgender Christian. I am your host, Anna Hudak. So today we are going to be discussing quite a bit. We're going to be continuing on with the gender manifesto. Sorry. Why is it going to say manifesto? Manifesto, not manifesto. <laughs> um, and be going over a few other things. Let me see what else do I got. <clears throat> I do have a good news story this week. Okay, I, I actually remembered I got one pulled up. And it's a good week to remember to do it because this is a pretty damn good story. So, pretty excited for that. Um, but yeah, so let's kind of just dive into the show, not waste much time. So yeah, it's been a bit of a uh, rough week, not going to lie. Um, very tired, especially today. I, I mean, I have not been sleeping well. Um, for, there was a few days and I actually was sleeping at least somewhat decently. Um... Also, sorry if I sound a bit different in this episode. Um, my throat has just been weird all morning. Like, I had this really horrific uh, coughing fit earlier this morning, and my throat has not been the same. So, I am completely sorry if my voice sounds different. And I know it probably does. Uh, at least without a microphone, it sounds different. So, anyway, um... So yeah, last night was just, ugh. But I'm telling you, the last few nights in particular have been pretty hellish trying to get to sleep. Just like, I have gotten very little sleep these last few nights. I mean, very little. Um, one of the days pre re recently, like, I have been up, I was up like since like 2 in the morning pretty recently. Um, last night, I didn't fall asleep till after midnight. And then, like, around 3 in the morning, some really strong storms came into the area, and they woke me up pretty badly. Um, I was up a while from that. Um, I have no idea how long, but I was up for quite a bit. And then my parents uh, texted me at 7 a.m. because they had a... So my parents, basically, if you do some things for the church, they kind of work for the church. Uh, they run the food ministry there for the most part. At least they pick up food donations and kind of deal with all that stuff. Um, and uh, they had to leave, you know, so I don't know, like probably like 6.30 or something to go pick up, you know, a bunch of stuff from, uh, from you know, local restaurants like Starbucks and you know, places like that for the church. And uh, around 7, they texted me and asked um, if I could go check uh, the recycling bin, which has been sitting out for quite a while now, waiting for the, recy for the recycling people to come pick it up. See, it makes sure it hadn't blown over because, like, they had been seeing trash everywhere because, like, you know, uh, the, the winds were so strong last night. And so, I, so, like, that woke me up. And I have been up since. It's 9.42 now. Um, I am just fucking exhausted. I am just being honest. I am... <clears throat> sorry, quite exhausted this morning. So, that's fun. Um, yeah, and that, you know, my froze just weird as hell this morning. So, all of that is going on. Just exhausted. That, and, you know, I've also just been really depressed the last few days. I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty darn depressed. Really struggling with some of that. Um, I started blogging again, which has been pretty cool. Um, of course, you can find a link to my blog in the show notes, and you really should. Blogging is my main passion. Finally, I have a computer again so I can actually blog, because blogging from a phone is just not fun. 
it kind of sucks. So I have not been blogging very much lately, but now I am starting to get back into it now that I have a computer again. Because frankly, like if I could only do one thing, if I could only ever make one kind of content ever again, it's probably blogging. It's just what I love. Because frankly, I'm a much, like I'm better at writing out my thoughts than I am speaking my thoughts, to be honest. Um, so yeah, like, is this a more convenient, better way, uh, for me to, to, to really express myself than speaking like I am now, you know, like, oh, you know, I love making videos. I love doing podcasts, but blogging is definitely my first love. That's why I started blogging first. So anywho, so yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I started blogging again. Uh, and I wrote an article about uh, just my, how isolated I really feel. Uh, you know, just, it's really been really weighing on me. Like, kind of has, like, in, in a lot of it, I'm in, it's interesting to me that the few that the few people kind of reached out to me over that article. And I almost never get any reach, people reaching out to me about an article I write. Like, pretty much anything I write, make, really, people don't really reach out to me for, but that's besides the point. Um you know, that the thing that they seem to really take notice of and really relate to more than anything is blaming God. You know, the point of my article is how isolated I really feel like I never really had much friends. Um, I still don't really have friends. Like, I don't really have friends offline. Like, the two people in the world that I can call my friend, they both live hours away, you know. Um, one of them lives in Ohio, um, and the other one lives in Oklahoma, you know, and I live here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, uh, and the one who lives in Ohio is not, you know, like, kind of like South, you know, like, it's not like she's on the, you know, like on the way to Toledo, which still kind of far away, but not that bad, you know, but anyway, it's not like I really have people I can spend time with offline, you know? It really is just me, my computer, my video games, my books, and my parents. Like, my parents are who I spend... Like, when I think of hanging out, it's with my parents. Like, and it's really been that way for most of my life, to be honest, even when I was a kid. You know, um, I never really had too many friends growing up, not, at least not until my dad became a pastor. Uh, and then, you know, people kind of wanted to be a friend because, well, you're a pastor's kid, you know. But... Before that, you know, never really had friends very much. Um, so even as a kid, you know, like, my concept of hanging out was with my parents. You know, playing video games with them, watching movies, uh, or, you know, reading books with them, you know, whatever. And it still kind of is that way today, you know, just, it's just reading. It's, um, you know, like, I'll just, like, many, most of my evenings are spent, you know, me sitting out there for several hours with mom. Either, you know, she'll be, we'll both be just on our phones, you know, or she'll be on her phone and I'll be reading, or sometimes we watch something together, sometimes. You know, lately we, we've been watching uh, through DuckTales, the new one, 2017, I believe it came out, started. Um, you know, we've been watching that over the course of the past year, and some evenings we just been watching t two episodes of that, you know, we're almost done with it now. Um, we are in the second half of the third season, which is the final season of that show, and let me tell you, I've been loving it. I'm going to give some more thoughts on it once I finish it, because we're so close now, there's not really much reason to give too many thoughts on it, other than 
I really like this cartoon. It's definitely one of my favorites. I don't know if I like it better. Like, I'm not saying it is my favorite. I don't even know if I'd maybe... I don't know if I'd even put it top five. I don't know. Um, we'll see how it ends. Because definitely, like, right now I'd put, like, Teenage Mutant Turtles 2003 is definitely the best cartoon I have ever seen. Hands down. Uh, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2003 is just a masterclass at storytelling and good characters. It absolutely holds its own against the live action shows. Like it's that good. Uh, it's definitely, I think one of the best TV shows ever made period, especially season four, season four of TMNT 2003 is one of the greatest seasons in television history, period. End of story. I think it. I think that highly of that season. And season three is no slouch either. It's a damn good season. But season like each season kind of gets better up until season five. I know a lot of people think season five is even better than season four. Personally, I didn't really care for it too much. I thought it was fine. Um, but yeah, I thought season four was its peak. And then basically, season five never got released on television. I don't believe. I think it was only ever released on DVD. And then they did season six, which was fast forward, which they basically kind of rebooted the show and made it like super kid friendly, try to get in line with the 1987 show and really ruined it. Um, season six is a dumpster fire. It's fucking terrible. And season seven is not good. It's nowhere close to as bad as season six, but it's still not good. Like I know a lot of people say that it's kind of good, but I think it's... The only reason anybody thinks that it's kind of good is because compared to season six, it's like almost a masterpiece. Okay, not really, but it's really not bad. Not even compared to season six as a masterpiece, but it's much better than season six, but it's still not very good. It's still not a, it's still not a good season. But like the first season is, it's good, you know, it, it's fine. You know, it has some really good episodes. And it does a good job setting up for everything, but it's nothing great. <clears throat> then season two is pretty darn good. I would say it's pretty darn good. It's not great, but it is pretty darn good. Season three is great. That is a great season. Um, I mean, it starts off like the first, I think, what, six episodes, um, which are basically like the same storyline are just the greatest season opener, like, season opening arc I have ever seen in any show, period. And then season four is just masterpiece. Like, it is absolutely stunning. You know, um, but yeah, then, anyway, but, you know, as I do that one, um, Teen Titans 2003, not that god-awful Teen Titans Go!, uh, that show is an abomination to mankind. Um, but it's 2003, the original Teen Titans cartoon that aired on Cartoon Network. I probably would put that top five. Um, I would maybe do The Tick. I don't know. I might do The Tick. I'm trying to think else. what else would I put in there. Um, Sonic X is good, but I don't know if it's top five good. Um, Carmen San Diego, the, the new one by Netflix. I think it started like 2018 or something like that. Uh, but yeah, like it was the one that made by Netflix, the Carmen San Diego cartoon made by Netflix just a few years ago. That I would say is top five. That is a fantastic cartoon. And if you like cartoons and you have not seen Netflix's Carmen San Diego, you need to. 
it is absolutely amazing. Like, I would watch that show again in a heartbeat. Absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, you know, Turtles 2003, um, Teenage Mutant Turtles, I mean, Teen Titans and Carmen Sandiego would definitely be top five. Maybe The Tick. Um, I'm really struggling to think of what else is there. So, you, anyway, but this is all kind of besides the point. But, you know, like, I, I going off on a tangent that I did not mean to go down, I, I, I did not intend to go ranting about cartoons. But here we are, uh, you know. But anyway, you know, it's like, that's most evenings, you know, it's just anytime parents, you know, maybe just talking with dad about stuff. Watching YouTube videos of mom and dad. Or just sitting here on my computer just doing stuff. You know? Working on my fan, Coming up with ideas for my fantasy world. You know? I've been... Uh, you know, that's one of the things I've been working on really hard with my friend from Oklahoma. Is creating a fantasy world. Then, you know... Or maybe just playing Rise of Nations. You know? Or, you know, awesome. I don't really play too many other games lately other than Rise of Nations. So, I guess that's really the only game. Like, I I keep telling myself I'm going to play some other games. Like, I got a friend of the library, uh, Final Fantasy. Wait, what is that? Uh, I think that's 10. I think that's Final Fantasy 10. But I see on my dresser. Uh, let me Let me look up box art. Is that 10? Yes. So I got a Final Fantasy 10 from the library for the Switch. Keep telling myself I'm going to play that. Like, I got it out in January to play it, and I never did. But this time, I'm definitely going to play it. But yeah, so, um, there's that. I, you know, I just want to get back into playing Crackdown um, 3 for the sixth time. Uh... I want to play more Skyrim. I need to finish off uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, but yeah, you know, those are games I would like to do. But mostly I've been doing a lot of reading. I've not been playing much video games. Mostly been listening to podcasts, working on content, um, and doing a lot of reading. been reading for the Real Wheel of Time series, which I'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, you know, just I don't really spend time going out like I really don't go out really like if I'm going outside it's to take a walk which lately because you know it's still kind of cold out so I'm not doing too often or because mom is taking me out to go shopping or to the library to pick up some books you know you know so like I don't really get out much it doesn't help that nobody seems to want to hire me like, I keep sending my applications, and I'm even applying for online jobs. Like, I actually, at least getting some people who seem to be interested in me for a few online jobs, but we'll see if that goes anywhere. But at least for, like, you know, physical locations, like, going out into the world and working, whether it's at a store or, you know, like, cleaning things, whatever, nobody seems interested. Like, it doesn't matter if I call back or what. Like, no one calls back. Ever. And that's been beyond demoralizing. Like, is it getting to the point where, like, I am not doing too much applying anymore, to be honest, outside of, like, maybe some online jobs. Because, like, it's been, like, over a year. Nobody wants anything to do with me. So, that has been rough, you know. So, like, I'm just not getting out at all. You know, but, you know, the thing that seemed to really resonate with people was when I talked about how 
a struggle of blaming God. <clears throat> you know, I talk about how every time when I try to break out of my shell, something happens that forces me back into my shell. You know, back in 2019, I decided to try to break out my shell and start going out, meeting people, spending time with the people that I already knew. And then, you know, that was like late 2019, you know, probably about like August 2019 when I started. But then what happened? Early 2020, COVID hit, forced everybody back inside. So my attempts at socialization and breaking out of my shell completely ended. And then last year, I decided I was going to try to find a community to break out of my shell again. So I started trying to find a church to go to. Uh, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I decided I was going to try to find some, you know, support groups, whatever. And then my car breaks down after two weeks. So, you know, it's like I've done a lot of blaming God for this, you know. Like, like God, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why do you hate me? You know, those are things I've often said to God, you know. Like, do you really, do you want me to have, you know, be so isolated um, I feel so miserable for the rest of my life, you know, and like, I put this all on God, you know, blame him for everything, which I know you shouldn't do, but I do it anyway, you know, and I talk about how I kind of beat myself up for blaming him over it, and I got several people kind of, even in the comments of that blog article even, people were saying like, hey, don't beat yourself up over this, you know, don't beat yourself up for blaming God over this stuff. And that's been really hard for me, you know, blaming God for everything that goes wrong in my life, whether it was him or not, and also, then also beating myself up for blaming God for these things. I really don't know how to handle it, to be honest. I I don't know really what's the healthy way to look at any of this stuff, you know, and this has been kind of hard as well. Like, what is the healthy way to process all of this. And so that's been rough. It's been very damn rough. So, all right. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, my camera stopped working. So let us um, restart all of this. So, okay. So, uh, I already started on the Gender Accelerationist Manifesto previously, but I guess we'll restart on that. So, anyway. <clears throat> uh, so, we are reading a section. Uh, we are reading... Uh, so, the section is Gender, It's a Function of Origins. The subsection is Sex and Gender. If you're reading the PDF, following along on that, it is page four. Um, so, anyway... So since gender is an expression of these relations and production of production and not of biology, where does that leave sex? Some pseudo-Marxists claim sex forms the material base of gender, but this is a laughable understanding of historical materialism, which censors biology before relations of production. Biology influences our reality, but our social systems find their basis in our material conditions. Alright, let's break this down. Since gender is an expression of these relations of production and not of biology. So basically, what is your role in reproduction? That's how we view gender. You know, are you the homemaker? Are you the one who takes care of the children? Are you the one who goes out and gets the job? You know, that's how we view gender, not, you know, what your biology is. You know, 
do you have boobs and a penis or a penis? You know, like, that's not how we view it. You know, we don't view it as, you know, like, gender is not, you know, what your body parts are. It's what your role is in reproduction. You know, that's, that's what gender is. So the question then becomes, where does that leave sex? And then, continuing on, some pseudo-Marxists claim sex forms the material base of gender. So basically, they're saying that uh, what we define as gender is what our sex is, you know? That gender is defined by your body parts. That's what some pseudo-Marxists claim. Continuing on, but this is a laughable understanding of historical materialism, which centers biology before relations of production. Biology influences our reality. But our social systems find their basis in our material conditions. So basically, you know, your body parts helps, you know, it helps influence what people um, see as your gender. You know, it helps influence how you even perceive your own gender. In reality, our social systems don't see it that way. You know, they see it more as, you know, what your role is in reproduction. You know, once again, like, you know, do you go get the job? Do you, do? are you the homemaker? Are you the one who takes care of the children? That's how gender actually works. But anyway, continuing on. But sex is a thing. And if it isn't the basis of gender, what is it? Well, this formulation isn't wrong per se, it's merely backwards. Gender forms the basis of sex. We are not born with sex already in us. We have penises, vaginas, breasts, beards, chromosomes, etc. But these things are not sex on their own. They are features of our biology, but we group them into sexes. When we call penises boy parts, we are creating an opposing gender upon the body. In other words, basically, to kind of simplify all of everything I've said in this uh, paragraph, um, you know, there's nothing necessarily innate about your sex, you know. We all have these body parts, but they aren't what define your sex. You know, they are merely, as they say, as said, features of your biology, but we have arbitrarily group them into sexes. You know, there's nothing there's nothing that says that we have to call someone who's born of a penis a boy. We can call it, I don't know, a shooby dooblop. You know, anyone who has a penis is a shooby dooblop. That's what we that, you know, we could do that. But we have decided that those who do will be called male, you know, boys, men. You know, that's what we have decided. You know, just grouping a certain physical characteristics is very arbitrary. We could choose very different ones, you know. Um, we could get a lot more precise, you know. We could get, you know, because right now, if you know, in many ways, kind of generic, you know, like vague, you know, like it's very um, broad definitions of male and female. Like, let's say that anyone who has big muscles at all, you know, who is just, 
very strong is her own gender. Does not matter what body parts you have. You know, your your gender is defined by your strength. Or let's say by, you know, um, you know, your facial, your, your face shape, you know, uh, what, what, what shape is your jawline, you know, um, we could make that your gender. Basically, there's nothing that says that we have to make, you know, your sex, um, based on, you know, like penises, vaginas, breasts, and stuff like chromosomes. It could be anything. It could be the, you know, length of your fingers, you know, like, it's just what we have decided, because they are the most obvious uh, physical characteristics that we see outside of chromosomes. But we're going to come back to that. So anyway, so basically, when we say that, you know, that certain parts are body are you know, party parts of that gender, you know, like breasts are, you know, girl parts, we are imposing a gender upon the body. It's not anything that's necessarily innate. We are just, we have decided to arbitrarily say, that's girl stuff. So, continuing on. What this means is that sex is the gendering of our biological features. We assign gender to our biology and claim them to be innate. Um, sorry, just had to check something for a second. Anyway, um... This is used to present the gender class system as a natural thing that just exists rather than a social system that gets imposed on us. By gendering our bodies, we act as if gender is just... Sorry. We act as if gender just is rather than it being something we've created. As such, sex serves to reinforce and defend gender. So basically what we're saying is... so. For sense, what this means is that sex is the gendering of our biological features. So basically, how we perceive sex is just what, however we gender it. Like basically, you know, going back to the previous paragraph, you know, once again, there's nothing that says that, you know, someone who has a penis has to be a boy, but we had determined it to be so. We had gendered, you know, a penis as boy. Um, you know, and so we, and then we claim that sex and therefore, you know, you know, it must be innate, you know, it, it becomes so natural to us. We just claim that it must be innate because we arbitrarily decided, assigned it that thing, you know, so this is often used, uh, by those who strongly want to uphold gender as a concept, as a natural thing. That just exists because they arbitrarily decided that a certain thing has to be along to a certain gender. You know, and they ignore the fact that this is just a social system that has been imposed upon us. You know, once again, sex can be anything that you want it to be. We could make it the length of your fingers, for, for crying out loud. You know, it's just that we chose things like penises and vaginas to decide it instead. Because it's much more obvious. But there's nothing innate about it. That's saying that this has to be the... the, 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 the um, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? But this has to be the divisions of gender. Or sex, you know? So by gendering our bodies, we act as if gender is just rather... Is basically just... Uh, it's that we act as if it's something innate instead of something we've created. So, in other words, sex, which, 
you know, but your body parts that you claim that we pretend are gendered are used to reinforce and defend the concept of gender itself. Now, continuing on with the article. Because sex isn't some inherent thing, but an element of gender superstructure. Okay, remember, what is superstructure? It's what we talked about last week. You know, it's basically everything else that's not physical. You know, it's how you dress, it's how you talk, it's the things that you say, it's how you're supposed to react to certain things. You know, it's all the stereotypes of ge- of the genders, basically. So, because sex isn't some inherent thing, but an element of the superstructure, of stereotypes. Basically, sex is a stereotype. It's a stereotype of your gender. It has changed over time. The earliest people could have only gendered the features that are plainly visible, such as genitals. It's only our understanding of anatomy progressed that we are able to gender things like ovaries. Most recently, chromosomes have been gendered because of a relationship to features we've already gendered. I don't think that needs too much explanation. I think it's pretty uh, self-evident what we're saying here, you know. Our understanding of sex and gender has changed over time. Previously, it was just what you could see. And now, you know, we know so much more about the human body. And now we have, you know, gendered chromosomes even. But anyway, continuing on. But chromosomes haven't always been gendered. Half a century ago, no one would look at someone with breasts and a vagina and gendered her body's male, even if her chromosomes read XY. However, in 1986, Spanish hurdler Maria Jose Martinez Patino, I forgot to look that up, sorry, failed a chromosome test in in the 1986 Olympics, which led to the people to reject her as male sexed. Just a second. Uh, gotta look something. Uh, let's see. Okay. Anyway, as male sex, for years prior, she had passed a sex verification, saying she was female sex based on older methods, but because she is XY, she failed a chromosome test. In previous epochs, no one would have questioned her body's womanhood, but thanks to the gendering of her chromosomes, her body is deemed male, and she was shunned and shamed. So basically, Maria Jose Martinez Patino, you know, was a, is a woman, you know. She is a, from my understanding, looking at her wiki right now, seems to be a cis woman. But but she has XY chroma, at least according to the test of AUs that, um... In 1986, she ended up with, they determined she had XY chromosomes. And so, therefore, they said, we don't give a shit, you know, that you have a vagina. We don't care that you have boobs. You know, we don't care any of this stuff. We don't care about your, you know, your main uh, sex hormone is estrogen. We, we don't care about any of that. You have XY chromosomes. Therefore, male. And so, even we could see... You know, despite the fact that just a few years earlier, they had different methods, chromosome testing, and she ended up with XX, you know, what are seen as female chromosomes. And so she was seen as a man after that, and, you know, she ended up getting rejected. People started, she became shunned and shamed because of her chromosomes. Because, you know... If you have XY chromosomes, therefore you must be a man. And so you can even see that our definition of sex has changed 
over time because we we, we gender new things. And now chromosomes are often seen as like the end all be all um, in many cases of, you know, what you are. Which is pretty damn wrong if I say so myself. So, anywho, let us read, let, let, let's see, how long? Alright, so after that little snafu with the recording, with the video recording, with it just deciding to stop out of nowhere, um, I'm probably just going to end this episode, to be honest. Um, and let's start, so let's, I guess, end it with a good news story. So this week we are reading, of course, from Good News Network, as usual. Good, sorry, the title of the article, which of course you can find in the show notes, along with the Gender Accelerationist Manifesto. New cancer therapy completely destroys advanced ovarian and colorectal tumors in six days. A new cancer therapy has completely destroyed advanced ovarian and bowel tumors in just six days. Clinical trials are expected to begin in the next few months after results on mice were described as very exciting. Pinhead-sized drug factories, quote-unquote, were delivered to continuous high bursts of a protein that boosts the immune system. We admit we just administer once, but they keep making the dose every day, where it's needed until the cancer is eliminated, said co-author David Omed Vesa of Rice University in Houston, Texas, whose family friend died of the deadly disease. Once we determined the correct dose, how many factories we needed, we were able to eradicate tumors in 100% of animals with ovarian cancer and in 7 of 8 animals with colorectal cancer. The tiny beads have protective shell containing cells engineered to produce interleukin-2. They could be used to fight the most lethal cancers, including those of the pancreas, liver, and lungs. They can be implanted with minimal, sorry, with minimally invasive surgery and could be tested on human patients by autumn, so they can get them into hospitals as quickly as possible. For the mixture, the team chose only components that had previously proven safe for humans. The drug-producing beads were placed next to the tumors and lab rodents with the lining of the abdominal cavity, a sac-like lining that supports the intestines, ovaries, and other abdominal organs and limits exposure elsewhere. A major challenge in the field of immunotherapy is to increase tumor inflammation and anti-tumor immunity while avoiding systemic side effects of cytokines and other pro-inflammatory drugs, said co-author Professor Amir Jaziri of Texas University. In this study, we demonstrated that the drug factories, quote-unquote, allowed regulatable local administration of interleukin-2 and the eradication of tumor in several mouse models, which is very exciting. Interleukin-2 is a cytokine, a protein the immune system uses to recognize and fight disease, which has been approved by, as a cancer treatment by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Lead author Amanda Nash, a graduate in Dr. Vissa's lab, said that beads provoked the strongest immune response to date. If you gave the same connection, sorry, if you gave the same concentration of protein through an IV pump, it would be extremely toxic. With the drug factories, the concentration we see elsewhere in the body, away from the tumor site, is actually lower than what patients need to tolerate with IV treatments. The high concentration is only at the tumor site. 
Miss Nash says that it opens the door to the same general approach to treat cancers of the pancreas, liver, lungs, and other organs. If a different cytokine is needed to target a specific coronary cancer, the beads can load it with any immunotherapeutic compound. The beads' outer shell shields a cytokine, producing cells from immune attacks, as they are made of materials the immune system recognizes as foreign objects, but not as immediate threats. Dr. Vesa said, We found foreign body reactions safely and robustly turned off the flow of cytokine from the capsules within 30 days. In the research published this week in the peer-reviewed journal Science Advances, they also showed they could safely administer a second course of treatment should it become necessary in the clinic. Colorectal cancer is one of the most common cancers, while ovarian is particularly lethal because it is only usually diagnosed in the late stages. Avenge Bio, a Massachusetts-based startup co-founded by Dr. Vezzi, has licensed the cytokine factory technology from Rice. Then, in the article, there's a video you can watch about it, if you want. Anyway, that is every night got for today. Uh, thank you all for listening or watching. Um, if you enjoy what I do, support it on Patreon. So... And also, I'd love to hear from you. Got all my social media and contact information in the show notes. So, you know, and also review on Podchaser, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Repod. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's everything I got for today. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day. Peace.